welcome to Chat with the Designers, your online, live, interactive weekly magazine for homebrewers, QRPers, and ham radio enthusiasts, listeners, experimenters, and hams across the fruited plain. This is your host, George, N2APB, along with co-host, Joe, N2CX. Tonight's session is really going to be an excited one, we think. Something that everybody has in uh, common, and and that's uh, power supplies. And the title of tonight's session is QRO Power Supplies. QRO, because we're going to be supplying, at least designing, to supply some power that's a little bit more than uh, what you might have done so far. But it's going to be not so much as to be unachievable. And we'll explain more about the the logic and the, and the theory, of course, and then why we chose this and the project for this session is here too. But anyways, we think that you're going to enjoy it because there are some subtleties in here that maybe you've glossed over. I certainly have a couple of times too, and uh, Joe and I just kind of continued down the discussion path as far as uh, figuring out what's really happening, and we thought that that would be a great topic for this evening. So power supplies in general. But before we get into that, we wanted to mention something that we had talked about before, but Joe is here in the Baltimore area with me, and we today went down to a seminar put on by Avnet. And the seminar was concerning the Cypress PSOC, P-S-O-C, the Programmable System on a Chip device. Actually, the CY3, I think, is the family of PSOC devices. It's a very small IC, and its claim to fame is combined digital and analog processing, including DSP-like processing and filters. We talked about this a little bit before in regards to the project that was in QEX kind of recently, and I've talked about it a couple of times too, called Simple SDR. And again, the use of this chip is is really quite amazing in its capabilities, and especially because it's the programmable part. It's like having all-in-one device, a bunch of op-amps, A to D converters, clocks, what else, Joe? Uh, Mixers, digital filters, of course, with standard digital I.O., such as, you know, setting bits or inputting bits, connecting an LCD to a chip, all in this chip. And, you know, it's probably in the $5 to $8 range in, in small quantities. And it gives Microchip a run for the money relative to the kind of functions that it can perform in an integrated fashion. And I think, in a, but I was blown away by their development environment. That is the computer program and Windows allows you to program the PSOC device to do various things. Uh, We created oscillators in in a relatively short amount of time using a GUI, graphical user interface, various functions just all in this one little chip. And I don't know, I can kind of forecast that you and I are going to be coming up with some nifty, uh, scathingly brilliant ideas, as we sometimes say. What do you think, Joe? You betcha. Yeah, one of the really cool things about it, one of the other things we did was to do just some uh, switching, some LEDs, but with timing, uh, just to demonstrate the utility of it, there was a very simple timer that turned the LED, blinked the LED, uh, an external LED on and off. And then later, it was combined with uh, two pulse width modulators feeding each other so that instead of the LED just blinking on and off, it slowly turned itself up to high intensity and then slowly turned down till it winked out, like kind of like an eye blinking. Or they called it breathing. They called it breathing. Yeah, it was like it was like breathing. Uh, very fascinating. The uh, GUI that George mentioned is a graphical user interface where you you have a uh, uh, block diagram of what you're doing, and uh, you're able to 
change various parameters of the digital and the analog sections of the uh, of the device and at the same time you're doing this as you click to change the devices it's actually generating some C code C language code that controls the chip uh, so that you're kind of working in both worlds at the same time you're working in the physical world you have a picture of this gadget that's doing something but at the same time you can see the uh, C language code that generates these functions and you can manipulate either to make it do what you want to do uh, and it, it has digital and analog and software portions of there which can be controlled uh, independently uh, in addition it's a little difficult to uh, grasp perhaps if you haven't seen it but uh, the control program that runs this darn thing can be switched out you can have it doing one thing and in in a period of uh, 10 to I think they said hundreds of microseconds you can run an entirely different program in the darn thing to kind of switch programs on the fly so that uh, one gadget can do multiple things um, in the same box uh, another function that was really cool is they have some built-in uh, touch programming or touch uh, controls finger touch controls where you can you can set up uh, push buttons or a touch screen to actually affect some changes on what you're doing and one of the examples they gave was that uh, one of these uh, this family of chips is used in the uh, iPod Nano or uh, some of the control functions and indeed the touch function uh, really impressive stuff it, it really is because uh, when you think about it kind of boil it all down in, in summary and then we'll we'll move on but this is a um, I, I guess it was it comes in as small of a package as a 48 pin QFP uh, QPF um, oh shucks quad flat pack QFP all the way up to a 60 uh, a 100 pin Again, depending on the number of functions and capabilities that uh, that device natively has, how many gates, how many amplifiers, how many A to Ds, you can uh, there's so much. I mean, you can change dynamically change the number of bits of resolution on your A to D. Um, there's a mixer in there, so you know, sort of like an SA five twelve that we're familiar with. Uh, maybe doesn't go to the fre have the frequency ranges than some of the discrete components we deal with, but um, you can construct, uh, for example, um, an oscillator, like a local oscillator, that would feed into a mixer stage. And you could take an external analog signal that you're sampling, maybe your voice, maybe a PSK31 tone, and buffer that a little bit with an amplifier, add some gain. There's a programmable gain. The, all of the amplifiers are programmable gain. And feed that into the mixer out of the mixer internal to the chip there's no wires coming out that we're talking about here it's all internal coming out of the mixer you could route that via the graphical user interface by connecting and dragging wires and connecting gates to each other you could route that demodulated signal or that um, that mixed signal over to other processing maybe you want to maybe uh, it's baseband uh, type of audio that you want to process maybe you want to amplify that output signal then take that off chip and then stick it to a speaker. I mean, kind of what we just described is a bit of the operation of the simple SDR. Simple SDR also added a, I think is, if I recall, Joe, it added a, um, like a phase shift, a 90 degree phase shift to its uh, processing. Um, 
the Hilbert filter, if you're into it, and using two audio streams uh, to create the IQ signals for transmit or inputting the I and Q, applying the phase shift, and then um, mixing the signals back together again, of course, and then you get uh, the demodulated SSB. So anyways, we're, we're really excited about this chip, and I think we're going to hear more about this in the future. What uh, things that were running through our mind, if, if you recall the circuits of uh, the rainbow tuner, or maybe the signal quality meter, these are all circuits that we've been talking about before. Maybe even the growler to a certain extent. Some of the, these circuits that we've been dealing with um, can be replaced in large part by uh, this Cypress PSOC chip and uh, thus saving board space, probably saving cost and adding a whole lot of extra capabilities uh, downstream. Anyways, we'll, we'll put links on the, um, on the whiteboard and uh, you guys can get into it if you're interested or contact us if you're interested uh, beyond that. Rick, you said you were getting your head around that uh, a little while ago. We've really got our head around it now. We've got a great, uh, we've got a great demonstration boards and uh, good tutorials that we, we took home from the seminar today. And it's a free seminar, so check out Avnet, A-V-N-E-T, and uh, look to see their seminars. They do a great job in um, various uh, presenting various tutorials, uh, seminars, instruction type of things, one-day things, anywhere from zero cost, which was today, up to, I think it was $120 last time we went for the, like that, yeah. for the Beagle board. Is the, uh, the ability to uh, define and configure devices and interconnect them uh, such that uh, you could actually produce a useful uh, circuit or device without having to do any modification of the C programming, or do you still have to do a lot of glue logic uh, above and beyond what the GUI gives you? That's the, perp that's the main purpose, the claim to fame, is that you don't even have to go to the C code. We didn't have to. We went to it just to kind of verify things, but there was no need at all to go to C code. There's no code involved with this this controller quite amazing. Go ahead. Yeah, you you could if if there were some particular things you wanted to tweak that was easier to do than uh, modifying with the uh, with the GUI interface. There were there were some parameters that uh, could be done with the C code, but uh, in general, it's not required. All right, Let, let's kind of get into it then. Um, again, this is the uh, this is the chat with the designer section concerning power supplies. The power supplies are something that, that's unique to us all. We use it for anything from batteries to power our really small QRP rigs or in the field up to um, AC adapters that we've got on the bench. As I said, sometimes you steal them. They've, they've been stolen from your laptop or whatever to give you some DC power. And uh, other times they're kind of elaborate ones to either provide really high power, well-regulated uh, voltage, or variable so I think there's just a variety of uses, and it's so common that we don't think about it very often. What we wanted to do was kind of delve into some of the uh, basic differences and the reasons why you might want to choose or uh, need to go one path or another. And then I specifically, we, we identified in several places a, dis a good distinction, I think, between switching power supplies and linear power supplies. There are fundamentally different designs, fundamentally different pros and cons for each one. And I think it's going to be interesting to see exactly what some of those pros and cons uh, are along the way. 
What do you think, Joe? Uh, if you're dealing as uh, someone who just picks up a uh, a box and doesn't think about it, you might not might not be uh, too cognizant of what's inside the darn things. Many of the power supplies we've used historically have been linear power supplies. It's kind of the old brute force approach. They tend to be somewhat big and heavy. Uh, many of the more modern things like computers, uh, even your TV set, any of the consumer appliances and battery charges and such these days are going to the switching type power supplies. Technology that can be uh, built smaller and uh, lighter in general and in many cases less expensive than the linear power supplies. Uh, and as George mentioned, they both have uh, advantages and disadvantages. If you're thinking in terms of Linear power supplies, many of the uh, lab type supplies we'd have that have variable voltage and, and uh, variable current, current limiting and such, uh, they're generally linear power supplies because you get more control over quite what's happening and indeed you get a cleaner output. We have some pictures on the whiteboard of some typical supplies. Uh, there's, a, there's a big stack up of some HP stuff, which is some... I can't quite see the picture. Okay, it's Hamag. It's not HP. They're trying to copy the HP feel. It's some linear programmable power supplies. They're not only settable from the front panel, but they're indeed they're programmable as well. You can set them up automatically to do some other some other functions rather than just supply a, a single supply. And they generally do tend to be linear power supplies. Um, there's also a picture of a uh, an MFJ power supply, not necessarily to the same scale as the Hamag, but it is a uh, uh, an adjustable linear supply, 15 amps max from MFJ, which has uh, on the front panel uh, voltage and current metering. This might be this is kind of a cross between something you might use as a lab supply or indeed use to power your equipment. Again, it's a linear power supply. I think it is about to the same uh, scale. Um, you can tell by the control knobs. In other words, it's it's a it's a good size. What is it? Maybe about uh, ten inches wide by okay. five inches tall. Yeah, I was I was uh, taken aback a little bit by the juxtaposition of the two. But at any rate, it's uh, it is a, a simpler, much simpler than the uh, lab supply. Uh, quite usable for some lab purposes as well as uh, operating your your uh, ham equipment, um, relatively simple uh, control panel. And then there's a, a kind of a classic power supply, the Clegg uh, uh, 12 volt DC uh, 20 amp supply. That's a fixed voltage, doesn't have any metering on it, but it's a, it's a big, uh, big dog intended to operate uh, uh, continuously and supply. Uh, <laughs> 20 amps. We got a, yeah, 20 amps. We got a little uh, typo here. It's a 20 amp liner power supply, <laughs> linear power supply. Uh, <laughs> criticize your own work and see what happens. Um, anyway, it's it is a uh, uh, something that's really an appliance you would use in a ham shack to operate a rig without having to think about it. You just hook it up and let it rip. Well, that's your supply, isn't it? It's similar. Uh, I I actually worked for Clegg. Uh, uh, so many years ago, I hate to think about it, and I designed the little brother to this, a 10-amp power supply, 10-amp linear power supply. This is a little bigger brother. Um, going along with the uh, the pictures here, there's also an open chassis supply. 
which is kind of a no-frills sort of thing that would be built into another piece of equipment, which is a, uh, it's a, built by Sola, a company called Sola. It's a regulated power supply uh, with no, uh, no bells and whistles. Like I say, it's, it's a component inside some other piece of equipment. A lot of OEMers use these kinds of open chassis supplies to, when they're building equipment for uh, the factory floor, or other types of uh, other equipment manufacturer devices, they use these as to, to power them. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you might see if um, someone builds uh, special purpose lab equipment, this is the sort of thing they would do. Rather than design their own power supply, they buy an off-the-shelf open chassis thing like this and put it inside the uh, chassis with whatever else they're, uh, they're dealing with. The key is, though, it's inside something else. It's inside something else to give the protection from uh, solder blobs falling on it from from bugs uh, going in there and uh, burning up or hands somebody's well hands from drooling on it or sticking their their fingers or other body parts in there and causing oh, yeah. problems i've had that problem before i i remember the last time you stuck your tongue up across a high voltage power supply yeah that that was interesting well, what's the last time i'm going to listen to you <laughs> that was a heck of a blister i'll tell you <laughs> Uh, and the, the final picture is a, uh, just for comparison's sake, it's a 13.6 volt uh, fixed 2 ampere switching power supply from MFJ. Uh, relatively small, it's a wall wart and uh, uh, very handy for small rig uh, if you're not too worried about uh, noise and the rest of that. Pretty inexpensive and uh, again it's it's in the in the terms of a consumer appliance, something you don't worry about. You just plug it in and use it. Boy, when the time comes here, I've got a story to tell relative to um, noise, uh, hash, and trying to find the source of noise in the shack. And if you kind of look around your shack, you'll you'll be surprised, maybe, to understand how to see where all the places are that you use these kinds of uh, wall wart or... Uh, switching power supplies uh, from our laptops to LCD screens to uh, little AC-powered uh, uh, speakers. And uh, there's some challenges that we have here in using those kinds of things. Indeed there are. Okay. Um, you know, uh, just incidentally here, George and my byplay here reminds me there were some guys on um, a show called Car Talk, which was a thing on... I believe it was NPR. There's two guys named Frick and Frack who used to have uh, a, uh, a daily, I forget if it was daily or weekly thing, about automobiles. And uh, they would they would have a, a by-play, kind of like we're doing, discussing topics and a little, little humor thrown in. One of the, one of the uh, Frick and Frack things that I remember was people would write in and ask questions. And uh, the question one day was uh, a woman wrote in and said, uh, I'm going to be driving from Phoenix to Chicago. Um, I got a new job and I'm going to be driving up there. Uh, I have a Labrador Retriever who loves to stick its head out the window of the car. Is there any problem with the dog doing this for that length of time? And uh, the answer from Frick and Frackwell was, well, no, there's no problem. It's not going to hurt the dog. Problem is you're going to need a chovel, a chisel to knock the spit off the side of the car by the time you get to Chicago. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. 
Well, I mean, could use the dog's tongue then to, to check out that that capacitor on that power supply. Right. My tongue. There you go. Have been a lot better. You know, as far as um, as far as uh, the power supplies are concerned, I think one of our goals here for tonight, Joe, was to um, we want to get to. Well, let's just kind of state it outright, and that'll help explain the path that we're taking. There is a, at least when I constructed the web page, uh, the, the whiteboard, there is a predominance of, um, there, there's an emphasis on linear power supplies. Now, I don't mean to, I didn't mean to imply that that's the, the better one to use all the time or, or whatever, but uh, for the case that we have um, intended, and frankly, again, you know, most of our projects and discussion points here are things that we are using that we want and need in the in the shack and uh, for those of you who know um, have been following me in the SDR cube um, product development and, and project and, and so on you might have noticed that there is a, a new cube in the product line called the DC power cube and it happens to be a supply a DC linear supply capable of five amperes and it's uh, going to it it's able to power the uh, the RF power cube which is a penny whistle amplifier with some really nifty extra features but the bottom line is that I needed to have a, a DC power supply that was clean that was uh, hefty enough to supply the power for this medium-sized uh, um, pow RF power amp and although you can and we, we talked about this a bit, and I'd, I'd enjoy that discussion again. You can power RF power amps with DC switching supplies. Um, I thought it was better and, and easier, frankly, from a design standpoint, to provide a linear supply. So what we have here is tonight's project, and frankly, we're, we're really stacking up our projects. We're not getting it done faster, fast enough. We we're talking more about them, but they, they get added to the queue, and we're working on them. But tonight's power uh, tonight's project is that is that five amp power supply, and the logic of getting to that point of the construction, the whys and the wherefores, simple and good enough versus hefty enough to, to do the job. I think was uh, the main goal that we had. Exactly. Yeah, uh, you can put all the bells and whistles on you want, but uh, what we're aiming at is is uh, with the design of the supply is something that uh, will do the job with uh, without a lot of sweat, without having to uh, worry about things. One of the uh, precepts I go by is uh, the value of ignorance. The more you can make that you don't have to worry about, the better off you are. And if... Uh, well, I, must have a lot of it. I must have a lot of value here <laughs> in the shack, that's for sure. Yeah, if, if you design things pretty robustly and do it uh, with your head screwed on right... There are many times you can ignore some of the details by doing things uh, in a straightforward manner. And um, linear power supplies are like that. If you, if you get the basics down, they go pretty simply. And uh, you don't have to worry too much about uh, the fallout as long as you worry about uh, having enough uh, design margin in there, you know, for uh, line voltage changes or uh, heat, big enough power uh, Big enough heat sinks oh, yeah. to we get rid the of the heat. heat. We got the heat for sure. And heat is heat is the enemy of electronic components. I'll tell you what, Joe. Why don't we start at the basic, uh, at the at the ground level, for example? And you know, all of us have done some power supplies um, using the ubiquitous um, LM seventy eight oh five 
or 5 volt supply or 7812, 3 terminal regulator or a 12 volt supply and so on. That is a upper upper limit of, of capability. Uh, can you overview that for us here? Sure. Yeah, they're, they're, um, they are very good regulators indeed. Um, very basically what you do is you you want to get um, uh, if you want to get a regulated voltage uh, for a linear supply you take the AC line voltage uh, which is 120 volts nominally you uh, pass it through a transformer to give you a little more DC out than you want uh, indeed because the regulator takes a couple volts of headroom you um, rectify that to DC and then add a filter capacitor to ripple to filter out the uh, AC ripple and then follow that up and that that is unregulated DC it's DC that has a little bit of ripple on it and it will vary some with the load because of the uh, resistance in the power supply and and um, uh, the fact that you pull down the voltage on the caps then if you put a regulator in there like one of the three terminal regulators you set the output and the chip automatically um, adjusts its characteristics to a pass transistor inside, which then give you a, a steady DC output. Um, and the 7805 series, the last two digits are the, uh, the output voltage. So if you've got a 7805, as George mentioned, it's a 5-volt. 7808, it's an 8-volt. 7812 is a 12-volt DC. So it's a very simple way to make a, uh, a simple linear DC supply. They make even lesser voltage ones as well, like a 3.3. Yeah, there are. I don't. I don't know if the 7800 series does, but there are other other regulator families, indeed, that get down to 3.3. And these days, there's 1.2 and 1.8 volt uh, negative voltage. regulators as well. And there there uh, <laughs> there are also regulators that. Uh, in the uh, in, in the original classification had a 79 instead of a 78 they're intended to to regulate uh, negative voltages um, so you know you've got a, a variety of choices there so normally we take these these regulators these three terminal regulators and we put them on our board um, we put a little bit of filter capacitance on the uh, or a little bit of capacitance on the input a little bit of capacitance on the output and that supplies the 5 volts or the 12 volts. As long as the input on the input side is bigger than what the voltage is you're trying to regulate too, you got to have some headroom. And that gives you the, uh, the capability. Now, from a current capacity standpoint, uh, the typical package in free space can deliver, uh, well, the packages are like, what, uh, 1 amp? Uh, They're rated at an amp uh, with an infinite heat sink, yeah. As long as you keep the package at 25 degrees C, which is about 75 degrees F, you can pass an amp through there. If you um, try to pass more current, it has a an internal foldback circuit that drops the output voltage to protect the regulator. Now, I know that our Micro 908 project uses a 7805, and we have it on a heat sink, a, a moderate heat sink. It's not, not big, but not too small. And um, that gets pretty warm. And I know for a fact that we own, only have about what uh, 400 mils that's with the DD uh, DDS 60 inside right. the 908 card we only have about 400 mils being pulled from the 5 volt supply but still that heat sink gets pretty warm oh yeah yeah the heat sink will get warm and as long as it doesn't get up to the 
temperature where the uh, the guts of the regulator decide that uh, it's too hot and could damage the chip, you'll maintain the uh, the regular the the marked or designed uh, DC output voltage. Now let's switch over to a slightly different uh, cousin of this, and that's a three-terminal regulator that is a switching regulator. Those of you who have seen or used the the um, um, the new PSK, new PSK yeah. the NUE PSK modem, Milt and I selected a three-terminal regulator that is a switching regulator. And that indeed has the, you know, it's, it's all the internals of this three-terminal device are switching um, circuits that uh, um, eventually get regulated, uh, uh, regulate down to the output voltage of the, the desired uh, circuit uh, needs. And um, in, in a nutshell, let's talk about switching regulators for a second. In a nutshell, what a switching regulator does, correct me here and build mm -hmm. on it, is that well, it, it's an internal oscillator. What frequency? Maybe 15 kC? Yeah, something in the tens or hundreds of kilohertz generally. So you got a 100 kilohertz oscillator that is uh, feeding a um, uh, capacitor in us, and ultimately that voltage that develops across the capacitor gets uh, rectified because you've got an AC signal that's uh, that's that's being a, that's generating being generated by the switcher, uh, switching oscillator. And um, you rectify that and you get the DC out. Simple as that, huh? Well, yeah. <laughs> That's easy for you to say. That is that is indeed one of the simpler methods of having a switching power supply. And the, the, the one of the ideas, with that um, uh, construction, um, what you do actually to uh, adjust the output voltage or what the regulator does is it it will change the uh, if it's a square wave output from this oscillator it will change the duty cycle of the uh, oscillator so that the average is the output voltage you want and it passes that through an inductor and a uh, filter cap which acts as a low pass filter that then changes this pulse width modulated uh, square wave into a uh, into a DC level um, when when you're doing this, it's an on-off type switching on the internal transistors in the power supply so that they're either open or uh, short-circuited and you don't dissip dissipate a lot of power. On the other hand, with a linear regulator, there's a series pass transistor and you actually change the, uh, uh, the voltage to the gate of the transistor. You change the voltage drop across the transistor it acts in the linear region. So the linear regulator, you have a lot higher dissipation in the pass transistor. It's not either off or on. It's partially on all the time. And you just change the, basically the conductance of it uh, to change, to set the output voltage. So you get a lot more dissipation, a lot more heat power dissipated in the regulator than with a switching type power supply. Oh, I love it when you talk to me. <laughs> So, um, an interesting, an interesting byproduct of a switcher, whether it's a, a small three-terminal regulator like, uh, like we were talking about with the new PSK, and also in the SDR cube, by the way, is that the higher the input voltage, the more efficient the switcher becomes. In other words, the greater, oh God, 
there's a variety of ways to express the efficiency, but the um, um, the less for a given load that is being pulled from the from the power supply or being supplied by the by the power supply, less current is ultimately drawn from the input side when you have a higher input voltage. Did I say that right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the the ratio of the output power to the input power um, is higher because you waste less. The uh, the the inefficiency in a switching regulator just primarily comes from the fact that uh, you have to supply some minimum power to get the regulator circuit going. And the higher the input voltage, the less you have to waste to produce an output. You're not wasting anything in the in the switching itself. Uh, you are to some extent, but a very small extent. Uh, whereas with a, a uh, linear power supply, the higher the input voltage, the worse the efficiency is because you waste the power uh, in that pass transistor that has to support the uh, the difference between the input and the output across its uh, terminals. Uh, it's operating in the linear region. And it's a partially conducting switch instead of an on-off switch. Alrighty. I'll tell you what, why don't we take a break at this at this point right here and uh, see if there's anybody who wants to chime in with their observations of uh, switchers versus linear um, uh, regulators. And uh, we have some more material to go through, of course, but we want to give uh, a bit of a, of a chance. And of course, at any time, you can blink your PTT light and get our attention and hop in. But at this point here, does anybody have any observations? Uh, what's the part number of that three-terminal switching regulator? Um, um, I'd have to look at it. You could find out uh, by looking at the parts list, the online parts list for the new PSK modem or the Cube. It's a little bit on the expensive side. It's like 10 bucks compared to uh, uh, its its cousin is the 70, 7805, the 7805. Uh, for the linear version, but all the reasons that we said it does have benefit, and Joe, I was going to mention that uh, because of these benefits, uh, I think it's perhaps better for use in the field. It doesn't seem to generate as much heat. My observation on the heat sink is that there's not as much heat generated. It won't because it's more efficient. It's more efficient. Okay, so there you go. But um, we'll we'll post it uh, uh, the part number there, uh, Rick. Joe, I saw you had a. Uh, yeah, I was just uh, just an observation on the the voltage logic as it's getting down below two volt. It's for power management. Uh, basically, you, you use less power the uh, lower the semiconductor logic works. Yeah, digital digital logic is tending toward uh, lower operating voltages as you, as you point out um, to uh, to lessen the power dissipation when you're putting half a million transistors or several million transistors on a chip, each one has some minimum dissipation. And the higher voltage you have for the darn thing to operate, the more you're going to waste. So if you can operate the whole, uh, all of the devices on there at a lower voltage and switch lower voltages, um, you waste less power in charging up and discharging uh, the internal capacitances. So you're right, that that is, that is the impetus for... Uh, some of the more modern, very very complicated uh, computer chips. And just as just as an aside, you and I learned today that this uh, Cypress PSOC device that we let off with is able to operate down to one one coin cell. <laughs> yeah, about one volt or so. 
I think it was less than a volt actually, but you yeah. could be tough to yeah. do it. But think of a think of a device that can operate on a rail-to-rail DC voltage of one volt, and then pull into context. You know what we're talking about here as far as the power necessary or generated um, in switching and in regulating, and you'll you'll kind of see the benefit of uh, being able to go lower in voltage in order to uh, uh, to get better efficiencies of power conversion, of switching, and ultimately of uh, processors uh, going fast. Let's uh, let's transition to what the heck do you do when you need to have a good solid one amp being supplied from one of these three terminal regulators or maybe five amps because you might have like a an RF power amp that requires three, four, up to, up to five amps in order to operate properly. What the heck are you going to do, Joe? <laughs> you're going to call uh, power supply busters. That's what you're going to do. Yeah, the uh, it, it gets to be a challenge when you get to higher uh, power. Um, if you look down in the um, in the whiteboard, if you have the whiteboard, you can see that uh, we have some pictures of uh, the guts of a linear power supply, and there there are four four pieces to the uh, to the block diagram. For a linear power supply, first of all, there's a transformer that transforms the uh, line voltage in the 120 volt region down to uh, an AC voltage, which is a little bit above what you want to uh, output from the supply. Then, of course, you've got to convert that uh, AC waveform to DC. So you use, uh, in this case, we have a bridge rectifier indicated. That's full wave. That's a full wave bridge rectifier. Full wave is kind of redundant, but yes, it's a full wave bridge rectifier so that it uh, conducts from uh, both sides. It conducts in both directions on both sides of the, uh, the transformer. You're not, for those who might understand it, you're not trying to pass DC through the transformer. You get the full um, peak voltage um, out of the uh, transformer in terms of DC. If you had 10 volts on the output of the uh, transformer and you had zero loss in the rectifiers, the peak voltage of the output DC would be uh, square root of 2 times that, or 14.4 volts. Well, what we see here in the diagrams, we see the waveforms shown as little blocks uh, one, block two, block three, and waveform number four. Um, after the rectification, um, as we're at block number three, where we see the peak voltage represented in uh, and uh, essentially the uh, well at the output of those diodes. Right. It's a it, it is the output of the diodes with no filter capacitor on there. Mm-hmm. And actually what you see, because you're conducting on uh, both halves of the AC cycle rectifying, you have a ripple voltage. You have a repetition voltage uh, at, uh, 60, at 120 hertz, twice the AC line voltage. So you get the, the half sine peaks uh, in succession with no gaps in between. And the peak voltage of that will be, as I said, uh, square root of two times the input voltage. Then when that's passed into a filter capacitor, uh, you get um, you get a uh, funky-looking waveform, which is, uh, if you look at it very carefully, it charges up to the peak value at the peak of the AC waveforms. Then as a load uh, discharges the capacitor between the peaks of the AC, the voltage goes down a little bit. It drops a little bit. And then when the next peak of AC comes up, it goes back up to the peak value. 
So you get kind of a little sawtooth waveform there. The idea is that it's, it's a pretty well filtered DC, but there are little dips in there. The point here is you have to have enough of a filter capacitor there that uh, this load resistance doesn't dip the voltage down too much between the peaks. So you minimize the ripple there. Uh, and then you pass that uh, kind of ripply waveform through a regulator to get the pure DC output, the regulated DC output. Now let me see if I can understand this or put this in a different way. What If we took the output of the... Um, I'll give your finger a rest there. Thank you. Oh, that feels good. Thank you. <laughs> You're at the control switch. Yes, indeed. So um, if we take the... If you look at the output of the full wave rectifier, rectification, and um, with, uh, if you consider that there's like a, a million farad capacitor on there and there's no load, you're also going to see a straight line because the capacitance, uh, the voltage that is developed across that filter capacitor is really not, uh, it's not being drained. Um, it's, there's no load on there, so there's nothing to really pull it down. But, and here's the key I think that's, that's important. Suppose you put a load, a resistor on the output. Now, I'm not even considering the regulation yet, so don't even look at that Zener diode on the, out, on the end. If you put a load on that uh, across that filter capacitor, and let's say it's a, a moderate load, you're going to start pulling energy from that uh, capacitor during the cycles when the AC, well, when the rectified AC on the input, if you will, is, is not present. And that's really what it starts to produce that sawtooth uh, waveform that you exactly, saw. Yes. That's the energy is being pulled from it. And in practice, you know, that is, I don't think that that is really, a, I think that is unavoidable. In other words, it's always going to happen. Yeah, as a practical matter, that's true. Yeah. Uh -huh. So the idea is to take that sawtooth waveform and say, okay, that's the kind of DC, uh, let's call it rough DC that can be produced with my power supply at a given load. You know, maybe your load is a, uh, um, a radio, or let's say it's a transmitter uh, that uh, is pulling, uh, uh, whatever, one amp. Uh, let's just say that during transmit. The idea is you don't want that rough DC to be really powering your, your transmitter because you're going to get that buzz every time you go to transmit. It's going to cause some kind of modulation in your system. It's going to cause AM. A amplitude amplitude modulation because it, modu it modulates the amplitude of the signal you're producing from the amplifier. Wow, that would be like a channel called uh, CWTD on your AM <laughs> dial, right? <laughs> there you go. It's that damn neighbor buzzing me. So the idea is, what if you could draw a straight line across the uh, uh, along the bottom of that that curve, like maybe right at the bottom of the the, the dips the lowest points of those dipping of the, of the sawtooth. And you would like to have that be the constant voltage being supplied by your power supply. Would it be a good thing to have it right, have that DC level placed right there at the, at the, at the very dip of the uh, sawtooth? Um, in the best of all possible worlds, yes. However, there's a practical consideration that any, any practical regulator, and we'll talk about um, fancy regulators a little bit later. Any practical regulator needs a little, what we call headroom across it. It needs a couple volts, generally two to three volts minimum, uh, more input than it has output. 
So at the bottom of those dips, you have to assure that the, uh, uh, the input-output differential is at least 2 or 3 volts so that the regulator stays in regulation. Now, there is a class of regulators called uh, low dropout regulators that can operate with several tenths of a volt instead of two or three volts, but they tend to be more expensive and not quite as efficient as the uh, regular, as the more common uh, uh, linear regulators. So, indeed, you have to maintain a little bit of extra headroom there. Okay. Okay. In actuality, then, you want to place that regulation, straight line regulation, um, a little bit lower then than that sawtooth. So, for example, if the, the dips of the sawtooth come to, let's say, 10 volts, or let's use, uh, let's use some power supply typical numbers here. Let's say that it comes to, like, uh, 15 volts. Um, it would be good, and if you, especially if you want a 12-volt regulator, it would be good to get a 12-volt Zener diode or 12-volt um, three-terminal linear regulator, such as we were talking about as far as uh, the LM7812. And then that becomes, that sawtooth then feeds the 7812. 7812 has enough headroom um, in order to do its regulation and ultimately produce a nice, straight, solid uh, DC level on its output suitable for use in your transmitter when you're transmitting with what, are, what did I say? Three amps or five amps or something. So that's 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 kind of where we are. Now, we know, or at least we, we some of us know that you just can't take a seventy-eight oh five or seventy-eight twelve, or in some cases, like we like to use the LM three seventeen, which is kind of an adjustable regulator, an adjustable three-terminal regulator. What's a way that you can boost the power capability? while using a three-terminal regulator as your, as your basic regulation element? Yeah, good question. Um, within the uh, these three-terminal regulators, they have a series pass transistor, as they call it, which is capable of supplying as much as an ampere. Ha um, however, what you can do is to use, with the appropriate circuitry, you can use that output to drive the base of another transistor. Uh, and connect its collector to the input of the regulator, and use the base of the uh, uh, base of the pass transistor uh, driven by the regulator. We have a circuit down uh, farther in the whiteboard. Use that to control the to turn on the base of a, um, a power transistor. Take the output from the emitter of the pass transistor. So then you've you've uh, adjust you've upped the current capability of the power supply from say one amp to if you have a transistor with a, a current gain of 20 amps, you can, uh, with a current gain of 20, you can supply uh, 20 times that power, as much as 20 times that power. You use the output trans the external transistor to uh, uh, increase the power handling capability. The downside is you also have to maintain enough for that transistor to operate linear. So uh, it, it may, require a little more headroom, but uh, not necessarily all that much. This is uh, the circuit we have here is open loop. It's not regulating quite as well as it could because it's not sampling the, uh, the output, but it's a simple way of uh, upping the, uh, the, the current handling capability of the, uh, of the regulator. There are other ways of doing it where you actually feed back a sample from the output and you, can, you get better regulation because you're monitoring it. 
this is a simple-minded way of, uh, of upping the uh, current handling capability. All right. Um, and in fact, again, Joe referenced this, uh, our schematic, which we called this week's project. And a picture is just below that on the whiteboard, which shows the components that I have assembled for this week's project. And uh, you can see where it is going to be assembled onto that white breadboard. And I'll have a breadboard and power supply. How about that? Um, and as it turns out, of course, um, this, as I said, is, is the basis for the DC power cube in the um, in the SDR cube product line is somewhat we a little bit a little bit more extravagant than what we have what we're showing here but these are the fundamentals and it uh, it's all you need bottom line is that you use that LM7 317 or your 7812 or 7805 whatever you want your voltage to be and you have that uh, regulated voltage um, feed the base of a higher power pass transistor which kind of then provides the output voltage uh, with the current capacity that you need. Now there's some subtleties in there just because you have to account for a little bit of a voltage, <clears throat> the extra voltage drop that comes across the base emitter junction in that pass transistor. Um, that's why we chose the 317 because we can adjust it to be a little bit more, a little bit less. And a good, uh, a good power supply for us in ham radio world, of course, is something like 13.8 uh, volts. And uh, we don't have a 13.8 volt linear three terminal regulator, <laughs> and so the 317 serves us well there. So if you wanna, if you wanna put together a bit of a project that's an easy evening project once you get all the parts together, uh, that this would be something that would be worthwhile, and you could actually explore some of the the, the principles that we're talking about here, um, as far as uh, the ripple on the raw DC being supplied to the regulator versus the, uh, the regulated voltage being pulled by your load. And, uh, and you can be assured of having a nice clean, because it's a uh, linear supply, it's a, it's a very clean uh, voltage um, power supply. You gotta, you gotta make sure you, you get rid of that extra power that you're using to regulate. And in the picture there, you see a, a little heat sink. I ended up using a larger heat sink with fins because there's a lot of current that's generated when you're even when you're pulling five volts. The headroom, the bigger the headroom that Joe was mentioning, the more power that needs to be dissipated. Power got, equals voltage times current. Yeah, I've heard that someplace before. Yeah, P equals EI. Yeah. Oh man, so you got to pull out that handbook again, I think, and uh, <laughs> brush up on that. Uh, that. But uh, let's let's talk briefly in the remaining minutes about uh, about switchers. And again, switchers are not evil. You just got to be kind of careful about how you use them, right? As, and uh, the, the, what are some of the problems that come about? When we, we've already mentioned the benefits of using switchers is smaller size, higher efficiency, less heat. But what are some of the problems you got to watch out for, Joe? Yeah, um, indeed. They have their, they have their uses. Uh, among the main problems with uh, switchers is that their outputs tend to have um, some of the uh, some of the switching frequency uh, present on them, because they operate at higher frequencies, they um, they generate uh, ripple not at 60 hertz but at some higher frequency, whatever the uh, the switching frequency of the regulator is, and there are various topologies. I'm not going to go into the topologies, but Basically, what you have are artifacts of the uh, 
of the switching frequency. Uh, some due to the particular design of the regulator that is unavoidable, you get a little, little bit of ripple. Other because uh, of, uh, just because of the construction of it and the fact that uh, you're going simply, there will be some, uh, some amount of noise present. It can be as much as, uh, depending on the regulator, uh, something in the millivolt region or something in the, in the hundreds of millivolt regions, hundreds of millivolts superimposed on top of your uh, output. Um, the nasty thing is this high-frequency stuff can feed through to whatever circuit you're using. Uh, if it's a Hunkin power amplifier, you might put some is noise. That a manufacturer? <laughs> yeah. is that from Hunkin manufacturing? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's from the, the the Green Hulk. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, you can you can add noise sidebands to the uh, transmitter. Uh, what often happens worse is that uh, there will be some bleed through of this stuff um, into audio circuits where you hear a buzz or a noise in the background, or indeed also possibly into an oscillator, and uh, this this noise will modulate the oscillator, and that'll just pass through all the circuits in the uh, uh, in the radio, or in fact, uh, you know. You can get into the, uh, uh, if you're talking about a very sensitive receiver, some of the noise get might get into the front end of the receiver and you affect the, the background noise of every signal that you're receiving. So uh, you have to be careful using switchers that you don't inject this. Uh, you can use filtering to get rid of it, but you, you have to be careful because the high frequency stuff can be nefarious. It can be tough to, uh, tough to get out. Nefarious. And nefarious. And one of the other things that uh, uh, also happens, I have seen this in, in some commercial products, is the little transformers in the, in the uh, switching regulators, little transformers, little inductors in there, if they're operating at, say, 100 kilohertz, they put out a nasty uh, magnetic field. The magnetic field can couple into wiring or some of the even printed circuit traces on a printed circuit board and induce a voltage that's not conducted, but it's actually radiated from the magnetic field and induced into the wiring to put some noise into, uh, into what you're doing. I recounted to George a, a uh, system I, I worked on years ago that uh, was an LF receiver, and it was, it was in the 150 kilohertz region. We were getting some interference in the receiver we had no signals around. We had no generators, no transmitters, no nothing. And it turns out what I found out was, um, in one case, it was a switching power supply in one of our test racks. It was actually putting out a nasty magnetic field, coupling into the coax that we were using to interconnect the two, um, uh, two test racks uh, and inducing harmonics of this nasty switching waveform into the receiver. In another case, I had the uh, horizontal oscillator of a, um, a monitor actually radiating into the wiring. So uh, the point is that uh, something in the tens or hundreds of kilohertz can even radiate through a magnetic field and induce itself uh, and give you symptoms that uh, are really tough to try to uh, uh, figure out where they come from. Wow. You, you were really lucky, Joe, that, you know, you didn't create a black hole or something and get sucked right over into a Cygnus X1 over in the other part of the galaxy. That, I don't think I'm going to go there. Holy <laughs> mackerel. Yes, indeed. 
But uh, along the lines of storytelling, I mentioned this uh, a little bit earlier um, as an aside at the start, and I might have mentioned it in a previous episode, but it's really well worth it right now. Um, Oftentimes, we need a quick 12-volt power supply for our rigs, for for our circuits on the bench, for... I'm looking at here, I've got an AIM 4170C antenna uh, array or antenna analyzer from Array Solutions. And it's got a 12 volt feed. 12 volts um, is a is a very common power supply need in their shack. And son of a gun, if 12 volts isn't a very common uh, DC voltage supply by many laptop AC adapters and other kinds of wall warts, um, maybe even up to 18 volts is, is, uh, can be used when you have proper regulation. But the point is, these are usually switchers. And um, the story that I have, and it didn't come very anywhere near your black hole story, is that the um, in the shack here, I was working on the uh, UHA, and I were debugging the SDR cube, uh, or a certain noise, uh, characteristic in the in the receiver and every oh uh, every 60 to 80 kilohertz along the along the receiver um, band it was uh, we were getting this uh, type of sound and it, you know with the with the cubes graphical display you could actually see that and it was oh gosh I don't know might have been oh on the order of maybe two or three kilohertz wide um, and, and, you know, at first, uh, the, when I first encountered it, I thought it was some BCB blow through or some other kind of noise, uh, you know, some military operation going outside, uh, going on just uh, down the road at, uh, at the airport that I have here. Who knows what? But uh, when I tuned it another, up another 60 kilohertz, there it was again. Another 60 kilohertz, so aha! Of course, my very sharp, astute mind at that point figured there was something wrong probably in my circuit or in my shack. So long story short, I started eliminating, uh, turning off various circuits and other uh, things that were going on in my shack. Everything from the hot tub out in the backyard, which is of course powered by the AC that powers my, uh, my station, to the furnace, to you name it. And I still had that every 60 kilohertz. And um, so last thing I ultimately did is I, I Unpowered, uh, unplugged, unplugged the last plug that was in the uh, in the strip that happened to be powering my uh, computer laptop, the display, the LCD display for my computer, and lo and behold, it went away. So of course, I narrowed it down right then and there to the noise being generated by that relatively inexpensive uh, uh, AC adapter supplying the power to the uh, LCD monitor. And that was, you know, no matter which way I turned it, it didn't go away. So that wasn't the same kind of thing as you were talking about, Joe. But it really illustrated to me that you know, the switchers, if you're not really careful, or if you're using a low, um, uh, a bargain basement kind of uh, switcher, or if it's just a noisy one to begin with, you know, it, it could indeed cause problems by inducing a lot of uh, radi- uh, radiating a lot of EMI and, and other ki- types of RFI into your circuits and and uh, really cause havoc. So in that case there, I mean, if you really wanted to, uh, if I really wanted to clean things up, I would get a different LED, uh, LCD monitor, supply it with a DC voltage, or with a linear regulated uh, voltage or something like that. So just a long story, but illustrating the point where DC switchers can really kind of uh, provide some uh, cons along with, the, along with the pros that we've been mentioning for size and efficiency. 
Um, let's take a break at this point here. We're kind of on the downward swing, and maybe we can get some of your own experiences with power supplies. Again, uh, it's a very basic element, but then again, uh, when we're making our circuits, uh, I've, I've even been fooled sometimes by trying to pull too much current from a three-terminal regulator, and it doesn't regulate too well. <laughs> and it gets hotter than I thought, and I have to add a heat sink in there. So what, what's your particular stories on, uh, on power regulation and DC power supplies for your, uh, for your station? Anybody? Well, my story is, uh, am I coming through okay? Just let me know, because I didn't do a voice check. Yeah, you're fine, Nick. Go ahead. Okay, now for the story. All right, because uh, you've been around long enough, and I have been around long enough, Power supply or uh, transformers are not as easily had. You go looking for a power uh, transformer, and they're expensive. They're heavy. They're bulky. So I started working with uh, trying to modify the daylights out of a computer power supply, figuring it's a switching power supply. I ought to be able to figure this one out with my with my knowledge. Pain in the neck. It's not it's not easy. It's unsafe uh, to a lot of ways. So I wound up coming up with a, uh, finding a surplus store here in town, and they had a bunch of 5-volt power supplies at 50 amps, uh, switching type, and I stacked three of those little burgers, which of course gave me 15 volts, but I wanted the traditional 13.8 volts. So I had to figure it out uh, where, the, uh, where the feedback uh, voltage regulator resistor is at inside there, which wasn't too difficult. After poking around a little bit, I was able to get it out. And lo and behold, I was able to put a trimmer in there and uh, adjust those things down to about uh, four and a quarter volts, which got me down to somewhere close to that 13.8 that I was looking for. And it works great. Uh, with the stacking the three power supplies together, I was concerned about the noise. But as it turned out, it wasn't bad for my two-meter radio. We'll have to wait and see how it does for the uh, HF radio, though. That's a great story, Nick, and you're absolutely right. Those transformers are very difficult to find these days, and I was going to mention that. It just kind of eluded me. If you go to All Electronics, allelectronics.com, you'll get some transformers that might be uh, useful. All Electronics is a, is a really good choice because they give a, they give a good range of voltages and, and power levels. But you're right, finding the right transformer. And the best way, in fact, one of the things that I did when I, when I pictured our project uh, components there on the whiteboard is I found a ratty old uh, power supply assembly that I got from a ham fest someplace. And it was kind of like in quality level, below Radio Shack quality, and it was suitable for tearing up and using for parts. And had a pretty good transformer and the diodes, and which is another factor you've got to be thinking about. The diodes have to be sufficiently handling the power that you want to be pulling from it. And the capacitors, they've got to be pretty big. I mean, like 30,000 microfarads is, uh, is a good ballpark for the kind of capacitor that you need on the input as part of the rectification process. But that's a good uh, good suggestion about, uh, you know, finding that uh, uh, the big old transformers that you did. Yeah, I was just going to say that uh, uh, there's one thing to mention when people ask me about, gee, I stacked uh, three power supplies together that you have to either make a decision. For me, fortunately, the uh, usually if you put, uh, feed, I'll call them feedback diodes or, or uh, a diode in there in, in line with the, uh, with the output, and that way you don't get a negative uh, voltage back into the positive side. Since all three of these uh, power supplies were already designed or intended to be stacked, they were already ready to be equipped for it. So it was a fairly easy process just to uh, connect positive, negative, positive, negative until I came out to the uh, output line. But uh, if you're building your own or if you're stacking, you definitely want to have 
identical or try to get as identical as close possible power supplies. So if you do stack, uh, you don't want to be just mixing, uh, hodgepodging anything because the regulation uh, will, will make a difference in things. But that's that's it. I'm I'm done. Thanks. Okay. I thought you were talking about uh, paralleling the windings, which is something you've got to be really careful of. They have to be really close to identical in voltage. But if you're stacking them to get a in, in series in order to get a higher voltage, that's that's certainly something that you can do. But of course, you can't get any greater power. Your weakest link, the, uh, that is the, the lowest power capability transformer, becomes the lowest power capability of the stacked uh, transformers. But that's an approach for sure. Rick, you had a, got a question. Always got a, a comment on everything. I wanted to congratulate you on your whiteboard tonight because uh, I had the opportunity uh, before the show started to uh, go and look at your references. And uh, I found several of them to be absolutely fascinating and as always very informative. Uh, so I would urge your other listeners to uh, take a look at those references if they're interested. The one that especially caught my eye was the a number 10 reference on reverse engineering iPhone chargers, uh, which gave a really interesting insight into all of the complications that, that come into play when you are trying to uh, engineer uh, something as simple as a power supply for general, for something that's going to have a million or five million units produced and put in the field. Uh, and also gives a lot of insight into the question when I go on eBay, I see stuff coming out of Hong Kong, and it only costs four bucks. Whereas if I buy it from Radio Shack or somebody else, some other local U.S. distributor, it costs fifteen or twenty bucks. What's the difference? Well, the uh, that reference it gives you a very good insight into exactly what those kinds of differences are and what the effect they might have on you. Yeah, great observation, Rick. You're absolutely right, and you got to watch out what you get, and sometimes you get what you pay for. Um, and uh, there are some manufacturers that take shortcuts specifically you know many times equipment various equipment even ac adapters or chargers have very specific purposes for use in very certain circumstances um, with, with with specific devices that might not be applicable for other devices or general other devices i think there's a frog in here or something. pardon me <laughs> my 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 dinner is talking. We had some really good ribs tonight over at the local rib house. And thanks, too, for mentioning and, and noting about the references. We take a lot of uh, pride, actually, uh, frankly, in the references that we pull together here to provide you guys the, well, provide all of us, because I, I go back to previous episodes all the time now. And um, it's almost like creating a little separate notebook. We've got, I think this is episode number 27 so we've got 20, now after tonight, we'll have 27 specific whiteboards about different topics that I go back to and pull information from, circuits from, look at the references for, to get a convenient uh, collection of uh, information on the given topic. Yeah, I can use Google at any given time, anywhere, but already the, these references are, are supplied relative to the topics for that evening. And... Uh, we really enjoy kind of pulling the best of the material of the web together to kind of supplement uh, our talks. We don't talk about everything on the whiteboard, necessarily. We often put an outline there, and we we pretty regularly hop around, sort of like a, spec, a spread spectrum. But nonetheless, the information is there for you to, to, to kind of use tonight or to seed your uh, possible questions and certainly to come back to later on. And I've actually started... If you if you haven't noticed it, I've started going back, and we've been augmenting previous pages. 
uh, either with corrections or additional information, or better diagrams, uh, and they become an ongoing notebook, as it were, for uh, an ongoing technical notebook that we have for the projects that we've got going on here in, uh, in the shack of N2CX and N2APB. Anyhow, thanks, Rick. Other, uh, other questions here? No other stories about power supplies? Man, oh man, I'm sitting here looking at my shack, and I've got um, one, two, three. Number three is a battery. It's a power supply. Four is a switcher over there. Five, another big battery. Six is a 24-volt supply I've got over there in my GPS standard next to the uh, next to the SIG gen. see five wall warts. Five wall warts sitting off to the side that are just waiting for use. On the bench is your, is your new uh, Clegg. Your new old Clegg. Yeah. So I've got like seven power supplies that are in active use, not even counting the ones that are built into the project. So I would imagine it's probably the same as many of you have, if, if not more. Oh, I didn't even count the, uh, the power supplies I got for my boat anchors. Turn around over there, Joe, you'll see some high-voltage power supplies for the HBR receiver or the, uh, the ART-13 transmitter. Um, you name it. So... Power supplies. Got a number of ways to get fried. Yeah, uh, I just love it when the cat comes in here and I have all these open, <laughs> open uh, here, kitty, 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 sources. Kitty. So you know, this is a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a way for you to think about the projects that you're doing, give you some ideas, and ultimately uh, maybe provide some tips uh, along the way. Um, final question that somebody had here. Uh, yes, George. This is Sid. Uh, you might make a quick comment on that gamma research that, well, with the H2S, where they just use a, uh, I haven't seen the circuitry, but they got a large capacitor in it and a very, very small physical footprint for a large power uh, draw uh, with some diversity. Gamma research puts out a supply H2S1A. It's got the, I think it will fit in the palm of your hand, and it's good for under uh, low CW rates or a single side band, about 20 amps, and it's a very small package, and it's not linear, and it's not uh, it's not switching. Uh, I just haven't seen the guts, don't know what it is, but it's been become very popular with uh, uh, people going in the field. Well, I was just starting to do a Google on it because I have no idea what it is either, um, but I'll certainly look into it. It sounds like it might be something new or new that you heard about, H2F1A, um, but uh, I'll take a look at it. Does anybody else know what uh, Sid's referring to? Okay, so we'll look into it, Sid, and if anything, uh, I'll put it on a, a reference uh, set of links on the page here, and maybe you and I can chat about it afterwards. All right, uh, Joe, do you want to kind of wrap us up for tonight? What we've done is, as George mentioned, kind of hop around a little bit here. We tried to give an overview of uh, power supplies, particularly power supplies that might be used by home brewers and uh, QRPers, uh, some, some different uh, architectures discussing a lot about linear power supplies because they tend to be uh, quite useful and uh, have some advantages and uh, some some of the uh, pros and cons on switching power supplies which are in common use in a lot of things these days um, we gave um, the beginnings of a design example for a uh, 12 volt 5 volt power supply 12 volt 5 amp power supply that uh, indeed will uh, eventually uh, become a something that is uh, in in the constant usage here in the shack and uh, as the design progresses uh, we'll provide more info on successes and failures what works what doesn't work and uh, 
kind of give you a, a look over our shoulder as as uh, we make it into something practical. So it's it's an overview with um, hitting on many of the high points of power supplies, trying to apply it to uh, what you guys might be doing. And in addition, we provided a number of references and some other info in the whiteboard for you to, um, you know, for the interested student to uh, follow up on to uh, learn more about the topic. George? As I recall, there was also the some pretty good information about frozen dog spit on a car, and uh, and uh, the the Cygnus X1 black hole from your days of turning that uh, turning that power supply at 90 degrees and just about sending you off into uh, um, Tholian space to join Captain Kirk out there in episode number 29 of Star Trek. As Lightyear said, uh, to infinity and beyond. Yeah, well, I think uh, yeah. Sometimes I think you've gone beyond already. And I thought I'd also mention just real quickly that uh, our ongoing project is still ongoing. And that's at the bottom of the whiteboard. And that is the uh, remote controlled uh, switch that we're using for antenna switching. Um, I'm looking at that unfinished project. But as it progresses, we'll also have that kind of updated in future weeks. So if you happen to be building along with us on that one, Please share your uh, your observations, your progress, and uh, we'll do the same along the way. Uh, brief update on the projects that we've uh, talked about thus far. Parts gathering is in progress for uh, first to come along as a rainbow tuner and the growler and that uh, the retro SWR. And we've got a lot of neat stuff here that's, that's going on. So we're having a ball with chat with the designers. We really hope that you guys are too. We'll see you next week. Um, same time, same station with uh, here on TeamSpeak. And thanks for joining us tonight, all. This is N2APB and N2CX saying bye-bye, all.